welcome to the Nerd Party. Maximum warp. Punch it. Punch it! Punch it, Bishop! Punch it. Punch that shit! Let's punch it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Punch It! Writing in Star Trek. I am your co-host, Tristan Rodell, and with me, as always, is... Charlene Schmidt. Charlene Schmidt. You are a fantastic co-host. As are you. And I just want to say, right off the bat, we've been doing this for years together, a very long time, and I love podcasting with you, and even more than podcasting with you, I love being your friend and talking Star Trek with you every single week. Dude, feeling is mutual. Every single week when we get behind the mic, I'm excited. I'm happy. I love being able to see your face. I love it when we go in with just the kernel of an idea and we make something out of nothing. And it's so much fun. I think it's fun too. And that is exactly what we're going to be doing today because we're going to be obviously talking about Star Trek and more specifically Star Trek Discovery and more specifically on top of that, a Michael Burnham backstory. So For those of you who don't know, Michael Burnham is from Discovery, and uh, if you haven't seen Discovery yet, this episode will mean absolutely nothing to you. So go watch the show. So go watch the show, but even if you don't watch the show, or haven't seen the show just yet, we're going to be talking about her backstory. We're going to kind of bring you up to speed on it. But one thing that this is actually, this wasn't a listener idea. This was an idea that you and I had, where we're just like, okay, Michael Burnham, interesting character. Uh, We only have one season with her so far. And we've gotten some of her backstory, not all of it. Uh, There's definitely room to grow. We've gotten some touch points in her backstory. And so we were thinking, what would it be like if we wrote a short story, a novella, or a scenelet, whatever it is, just a moment in time from her backstory. Maybe it's a, a jumping off point from what we know about. Maybe it's something that just is a complete and pure creation moment where it's where she, um, she learned how to swing on the swing set for the first time. No, that's boring. But uh, <laughs> Do they just, have those on Vulcan? We actually don't know. <laughs> uh, well, I would hope so. Otherwise, that's a pretty boring existence, even for the logical. Well, yes, but we have not done a whole lot of discovery on this show, so it is due time. It is. Yeah, we haven't. I mean, there's a reason why we haven't, because when you have 50 years of Trek and over 700 episodes to go off of, you have a rich history, and we know these characters like the back of our hands. But when it comes to Discovery, everything is still new. Everything's still crazy new. It is. And with it being such a fresh show, there's so much more that they're going to build off of it. I kind of feel like we're taking a risk. We're taking a calculated risk by going into Discovery territory Because what we build here today might seem really dated in comparison to maybe five years from now when they've built the Discovery Universe and everything that we say here right now is wrong. So (laughs) what? (laughs) Oh, very much so. I mean, it's kind of like when novels came out after the original series and before The Next Generation or even before some of the movies came out and they they wrote all this backstory and all these continuing missions and then the motion picture came about and erased All of that stuff. (laughs) That's kind of what we're doing on a very, very small scale. Yeah. But that said, I'm still excited to be doing something about Discovery just because this is territory where we've been a little weary to venture. And Michael Burnham, as our hero, is the first obvious logical choice. 
Absolutely. I mean, like, even though she's not the captain, uh, she's not even in the first officer anymore. This is the lead of the show, which is a brand new thing to think about when it comes to Star Trek, because we've always followed the captain. Now the captain was the lead. And yep. um, yeah, this is a new territory on multiple fronts. So with Burnham, she was born on Earth. She's human. She was born in 2226. And I was actually brushing up on her backstory because I've only seen Discovery season one once because I canceled CBS All Access because I only <laughs> was using it to watch Star Trek. I wonder how many other fans did that because what I did is, a, you know, I watched it all through once really intently as the episodes came out, binged through it one more time and then canceled my subscription. I canceled the subscription the day after the season finale and then just played out the month you wasted no time i was just like i'm not paying for another month i'll buy it up again and then binge it beforehand like i'll do a rewatch of my favorite ones before season two something like that yeah totally totally but with her backstory i always knew she had a horrible backstory like she had a horrible childhood but i even said to you i was like eh, it's basically just Worf's childhood Worf was <laughs> yeah, orphaned on that. a planet because of an attack and then he was raised by uh, a species that wasn't his own he had a hard time fitting in so basically the same thing. On the surface, it's very much the same thing. But let me read to you Memory Alpha, because holy crap, this is dark. Like, this is really dark. Like, if you don't know what this is, this is dark. So Horrific storytelling time. This is storytelling time, but like, it's making me sad just thinking about reading it. So in the early 2230s, Burnham's parents were stationed on Doctari Alpha, which was an outpost. It was a scientific outpost for humans and Vulcans. They originally planned a vacation to Mars, but a young Burnham begged them to stay three more days to witness a nearby star go supernova. The Klingons then attacked. Burnham's father attempted to barricade the kitchen door, while her mother hid her in a cabinet. Burnham did not witness the death of her parents, but she heard everything happened, saying that they killed her father quickly, but took longer with her mother. The Klingons then sat down on Burnham's family table, ate the dinner the family had prepared, and laughed. Holy freaking crap. That trauma. That is a traumatic backstory. That is like, as a writer, I'm just like, who hurt you? Why did you want to do that to right? one of like, your characters? What possessed you to go there, man? It, it does hurt just hearing that. I really hope that there are a lot of therapists in the future because, my goodness, these poor people, they've gone through some horrible, horrible things. That is nothing a small child should ever have to experience. Uh, yeah, where is Deanna Troy when you need her? Uh, this oh, is... man, we need thousands of Deanna Troys. <laughs> here, here, <laughs> just in general. <laughs> so after that, she was taken in by Sarek and Amanda Grayson, raised as one of their own. Like Sarek uh, continually said that Michael Burnham was his ward, kind of like Batman and Robin. <laughs> she was raised by them on Vulcan, and she was the first human ever to attend the Vulcan Learning Center. Now, that makes me wonder. Now, she's younger than Spock, right? Yes, I believe so. So I guess they're not counting Spock as being a half-human in that statistic. Yeah, because she's full human. Right. So she initially struggled. Like, she had a hard time. She was struggling to adapt to the Learning Center because they, they demand a lot, especially from Vulcans and especially from humans. And she, of course, had emotional issues because of what happened to her. Well, duh. And, yeah. And on top of that, there was a group of Vulcan logic extremists who bombed the learning center because they felt like humans were a threat to their logical civilization how crazy is that you even have crazy terrorists in in the vulcan community that sucks terrorism is not logical that's all i have to say about that 
It's not logical. But that's the horrible thing about logic and what we've seen several times over in Star Trek, that you can logic yourself in anything and out of anything. It's true. It's just a matter of twisting the information however you want to do it. So you can justify anything with logic and call it logic. Didn't Janeway say that's its greatest strength and also its flaw? Yes, it was Janeway. Yeah, I, I kept trying to think who said it. I was like, someone called out a Vulcan. What was it? And it, it, it was Janeway to Tuvok. Yeah. yeah, it's a season one episode. Maybe it was State of Flux. Maybe, maybe, maybe. It was State of Flux. It was the creepy pleasure guy episode. That's right. That's what it was. Okay, bam. All right, so in that bombing, Burnham was dead for three minutes and Sarek had to initiate a mind meld to revive her. And because of that, a little teeny little bit of his contra remained inside her mind. And then thus we got that thing in the in the opening later on where he's able to communicate with her over across interstellar distances and even share physical sensations. So moving on from that, beyond the bombing, she grew up, she was incredibly smart, she excelled at the Learning Center and then excelled at the Vulcan Science Academy where she studied quantum physics, which she's no slouch, and graduated at the top of her class, of course, because we expect no less from our Star Trek characters. Right. Weren't we just talking not that long ago about how everybody in Star Trek has to be the best of the best of the best, and they can't just be the greatest whatever. They have to be an expert. Yeah, the summa cum laude of everything. Yes. She was even the recipient of the Vulcan Scientific Legion of Honor. And and the only thing that was really kind of gut-wrenching later on was that she applied to the Vulcan Expeditionary Group, and which is kind of like the Vulcan version of the independent Vulcan Starfleet kind of thing. But then like somebody came to Sarek and said, like, okay, so we can't allow a half-human and a human into the Vulcan Expeditionary Group. So, Sarek, you can only pick one. Pick your son or pick your ward. And Sarek picked Spock to be accepted into the Vulcan Expeditionary Group and then went to Michael and said, eh, it wasn't because I was a jerk and picked Spock. It's because you were insufficient in your abilities and made her feel like complete trash. So this was a very horrible thing for Sarek to do, and it really burdened her. But then later on, she finds out the real truth. And to add insult to injury, Spock didn't even go to the Vulcan Expeditionary Group. He went into Starfleet. Yeah. How's that for karma, Sarek? Yeah. Sarek got all sorts of... He got his Katra hit by karma. (laughs) And well-deserved, too, because, wow, what a... So what is intriguing to you? Like, what area of this is most intriguing before her parents were killed, while she's at the Learning Center, while she's at the Science Academy, when she gets rejected? Like, what what would be a good idea? Like, what would be a nice... What, where's a gap that you would want to know about? You know what stuck out to me the most of that whole summary was I certainly forgot just how uh, important the whole mind meld thing was with Sarek and mm-hmm. Michael and why that's even a thing, I would love to maybe explore that a little more because in Discovery, it's sort of like Michael's really getting privy to that for the first time. But I think Sarek knows about it way before then because he's the one who's reaching out to her in Discovery. Stands to reason. I would maybe like to explore a little bit, maybe, I don't know how much potential this has, but him discovering that's a thing. What do you think? I think that would be a lot of fun because let's say like it's the bombing happened and so she's dead for three minutes. It's after Amanda's freaking out 
Amanda's doting on Michael, hand and foot, you know, taking care of her. And Michael's trying to be, trying to have the stiff upper lip and, uh, you know, carry on. And maybe she's secretly scared to go back to school. I would love to see a situation where Amanda is noticing a much more emotional Sarek. And he doesn't know why he's getting emotional. Like his... Yeah. He's feeling anxious. He has no idea why he's feeling anxious. He feels like an outcast. He has no idea why he's feeling like an outcast. And through the course of the story, that's when he figures out, oh, crap, I'm connected to Michael. I love it. That's really great. This is also a chance to maybe explore some family life between Sarek and Amanda, Michael, and yes, Spock. Now, is Cybok there? I always forget that he's there. <laughs> I mean, he's probably knocking over a Vulcan 7-Eleven or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it kind of makes you wonder about those dynamics because... Right? Actually, wait, wait, wait. No, wait. So Cybok was the older brother. Was he? So he wouldn't have been there. He was from a previous marriage. Okay, so maybe he's off with his yeah. mom causing trouble. Yeah, I like Cybok was Spock's half-brother and from a previous marriage. So he would not be around. He'd be, oh, maybe he is around. Maybe, uh, because, okay, so like, as we established a couple of episodes ago, I have a half-brother. Before I was born, he lived with my dad and my mom for a little bit. Like, he stayed with them for a little bit, even though hmm. my mother was not his mother. And he spent a lot of time with my sister, my full-blooded sister. Uh-huh. So that could be a situation. I don't think it's absolutely necessary. I'm just saying that it is quite possible that Michael knows Cybok personally, or maybe even on a good level. Yeah, so, okay, maybe Cybok, maybe he gave it a try, living with Sarek and Amanda. Mm-hmm. It's it's a pretty full house at this point with three kids, but maybe it doesn't work out, and maybe he ultimately goes off and goes wherever, who cares? Yeah, I think that's a story for another time. I think that would be yeah. that would be kind of interesting. We should write the Cybok backstory. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we could do the character a little bit of justice. I like that, but yeah, maybe we ought to focus specifically on Sarek and Michael and that yeah. family dynamic with... Amanda and maybe Spock too. Okay, so what is going on? Like it's after the bombing, Michael's in bed recuperating at yeah. home. What is going on? What is the the atmosphere like? How is Spock reacting? How is Amanda reacting? What's going on? Oh, I'm pretty sure Amanda is waiting on her hand and foot, babying her to the max, mm-hmm. trying to take care of her. That's pretty straightforward, I think. Now, Sarek, I have a feeling he's pretty unsettled after the whole thing maybe this is the first inkling of it like of his emotional connection yeah maybe he's trying to maintain his composure like a vulcan does but amanda can tell he's a little rattled and so maybe she turns to him hey are you okay after all of this Mm -hmm. and he has to confess to her because she's the one person he's going to confess this to he says i find myself unsettled he's going to say it in a very vulcan fashion like that i don't think he would be that honest right away I think there needs to be a little bit of a build. You think she's got to pry it out of him? Yeah, I think she she notices something maybe even more, like maybe he doesn't even notice it about himself. Maybe Amanda notices, but he is refusing to accept on what's going on. He's like, no, I'm fine. Of course I'm fine. It happened. It's over. It's done. Let's move on. And it was a good conclusion because Michael's alive. So what's not to be okay about? This. Like, it's fine. We just need to make sure it doesn't happen again. And so, like, I need to make sure that the security protocols at their learning center are up to speed and everything like that. And yeah, so, that is much better. He's all business. He is getting ready to go to the Vulcan embassy or something and, I don't know, put in some terrorism protocols or something or find a way to stop these idiot terrorists. Maybe that is the sign 
the sign to Amanda and also to other people. Like it starts at home where he's just like maybe he gets a little short with her, like shorter than normal. And maybe mm. he like gets gruff with her and she's like, what is going on with you? And he's like, I'm fine. There's nothing wrong. And it's not until he goes to the embassy and maybe he overcompensates. He's just like, this is ridiculous. We need to do this. We need to do this. We need to have screenings. We need to have detectors. We need to have guards. He just kind of goes down a list and it's just like, whoa, dude, one bombing. We can't change our entire way of life because of one bombing. <laughs> and he just he just goes over the top. And that's when he starts to realize. He goes full out militant. Yeah. Maybe that's when he realizes he's like, oh, holy crap. This has to be the after effects of something. And mm. that's when he goes and talks to Amanda about it. So then he approaches her. I think he goes to Amanda or maybe a colleague of his says, you need to calm down, get yourself checked out. Maybe something at the bombing affected you. Um, but I think he goes to Amanda and talks what if, out. I just had an idea. What if someone calls Sarah out at that meeting? Definitely. Definitely. You are over the line. You're dismissed. Yeah. And I mean, that's a huge red flag. Yeah. So Sarek kind of goes home with his tail between his legs. And all, maybe all it takes is Amanda asking, oh, how'd that meeting go? <laughs> and then, yeah. bam, the floodgates open. Oh, okay. Like just a little tweak, just a little tweak to that where he does get called out. He gets dismissed. This has never happened before. His ego is bruised. And he's just like, holy crap, I have an ego to bruise. This is weird. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a Vulcan. This is not supposed to happen. And he goes home and Amanda already knows. And she says, yeah, so-and-so at the embassy contacted me. What's going on? Ooh, oh, I like it. So then he has to confess. Right. There's no lying. There's no way around it. She already knows. And so they talk it out. And that's when they decide not to tell Michael. Now, what about Spock? Hmm. Maybe they try to explain things a little bit to him, but don't give him the full truth. Because maybe Spock has heard some things. I think this would be a nice opportunity because we know that Spock and Sarek chose never to meld. Yeah. And maybe this is the first little seeds of some jealousy with Michael, where Ooh. maybe he's a little bit like, oh, I see you, um, you chose to mind meld with Michael, but we still haven't had a mind meld. Fine, whatever. You know, like in a, a, a teenage Vulcan way. And, you know, like Sarek tries to say, he's like, it's to save her life. Calm down, Spock. You know, something like that. Right. I did what I had to do, not because I really chose to do it. Yeah, exactly. And he flashbacks. He's like, yeah, because you, you feel like you'll never have to do it with me or there's something like, I don't know. Like, I feel like we don't have to focus on it too terribly much. No, it's a conversation. It's a part of a conversation, though. I'm seeing this over dinner. And Michael's in a room. Like recuperating. Yeah, she's laying, she's resting in bed, but Spock is asking questions Sarek doesn't want to answer. So like Amanda and Sarek have their conversation outside of the dinner table and decide not to tell Michael. And then Spock brings it up at the table. Uh-huh. And says like, I heard something that happened at the embassy today. And he's like, how did you hear about this? <laughs> and um, Everybody hears about it. <laughs> and so we see a Vulcan version of a rebellious teenager because I feel like Spock would be. Yeah, he's definitely going to ask more questions, I think, than your yeah. typical Vulcan. And maybe Amanda tells Spock a few more things than Sarek would like. Oh, I like it. Well, and that lends itself to Spock being more inquisitive anyway, because maybe he inherited that curiosity from Amanda. It's quite possible, right? yeah. 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 So Sarek is just rolling his Vulcan eyes, just, oh, please don't, please don't. But we're going there. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so what's the conclusion of this conversation? Not the not the story, but what's the conclusion of the Spock, Sarek, and Amanda dinner? Well, I think they explained to him that, yes, there was an incident. And yes, it was because of the fact that Michael is human and is basically being raised on Vulcan. And there are some people out there who really dislike that. And so Spock is saying, well, I'm half human. Are they going to bomb me? Are they going to go after me next? Should I prepare for this? So they have to tell him, look, yes, son, you are different. You are half human. But we we have your best interests at hand. We're going to do everything we can to protect you. You know that we love you. And you are as safe as you're going to be. Don't let this rattle you too much. Like, they're going to try and talk him down. Yeah, and Sarah is saying, is like, that's what I'm trying to do. Like, everything that I'm trying to do for Michael at the Learning Center, as well as everybody else, is the same thing that I'm trying to do with you. Like, you're encompassed in that. I'm not singling out Michael. I'm taking you into account. So, like, maybe Spock feels a little jealous, a little neglected. Uh-huh. But Sarek actually does try to bring that in, reel it in, saying, like, everything I'm doing for Michael will positively affect you as well. Right, yeah, he's trying to, not twist it, but frame it in the sense that, hey, I'm doing this because I care about you and I never want this to happen again. Also, I think they're really playing it down in the sense that, look, these were some really seriously out there crazy people. Not all Vulcans believe this. Mm -hmm. Even though, I mean, Vulcans definitely have some prejudice toward uh, humans for the most part. Sarek is kind of an outlier. This would be, like, as hard as it is for Michael, I cannot imagine what it would be like for Spock. I mean, I know we saw a little bit of that in Star Trek 2009, uh-huh. but just him being a quote-unquote half-breed, as he's been called before, it's yeah. in a society that is so, like, even though they call themselves so evolved and logical, the amount of speciesism is mm-hmm. disgusting towards humans. Yeah, it kind of is. It's really prevalent, and maybe even Spock says as much, where he says, Dad, you have no idea the things that I face at school. Yeah. Why do you think mom walks around covering her ears? Yeah. Maybe Sarek has been a little oblivious to this because he's totally cool. He's so, he's okay with humans, but mm-hmm. he's one of the few maybe. Yeah. You know, like marrying a human and raising a half human and now a full human. Maybe that's when he realizes he's like, oh crap, I've been detached. Maybe that's the point of the story is... His reality is not the norm of Vulcan society. And it took a, a Katra bleed in order for him to realize and develop some sort of sympathy and empathy, but he's still Sarek and he's still going to fail and he's still Uh going to come up short as we see later on with the expeditionary group. Yeah. So moving the story along, when do you think Sarek figures out that his wave of emotions being a little more brash is connected to Michael? I'm envisioning a scene where Michael is healed. She's back at school. She's really nervous. She's a little Mm -hmm. scared. She's afraid it's going to happen again or that people are looking at her a little weird. People are asking her questions that she doesn't want to under- She doesn't want to answer, things of that nature. And Sarek is receiving the feelings of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's when he makes a connection where that's so specifically tied to Michael that, oh, oh, something is going on here. I think what would be interesting, because he, de- he does need to have that discovery moment. And I feel <laughs> like... <laughs> I feel like maybe an interesting thing, because this this could be an episode or a short story or whatever, maybe Spock leaves the dinner table. And maybe Amanda is the one who realizes it. Everybody always underrates and underestimates Amanda. 
And she's the one who says like, true. didn't you do your Vulcan voodoo? Doesn't it have some sort of lasting effects? Maybe it'll last forever. Maybe it'll just last a couple of days. Maybe you should talk to Michael and see how she's doing. But I do not think that you should tell her that this is going on because she feels guilty enough. You know, that kind of thing. Okay. She already has a bombing on her conscience. She doesn't need to have you getting kicked out of the embassy on her conscience as well. And so what about this? What if he goes to her bedroom and has a heart-to-heart in a Vulcan way uh-huh. where she explains how she's feeling? She's like, I'm anxious. I don't want to go back to school. I know I need to go back to school, but I'm scared. And Sarek says something to the effect of, I understand how you're feeling. And she's like, how could you? And he's about to tell her, but then he stops. And he says, he's like, well, I've been around humans for a very long time now. I'm, I've been married to Amanda for years. I have a, a half human son and now I have you. So like, it's just a very big bonding moment between the two of them. And maybe she talks about how she's like, I have one feeling that I don't quite understand and it's embarrassment. And maybe that's a word he used earlier to describe his the events at the embassy when he's talking to Amanda, when Amanda called him out. So it's the same mm-hmm. word. And so that's when we, re- that's the confirmation of a link. And so he gets it. And he gives her some motivational words in, in a Vulcan way and a motivational speech about how like you need to soldier on. It's going to be okay. We're going to do what we can to protect you. All you need to do is be confident and move forward. And she's like, I don't know if I'll be able to. And he says something to the effect of, I have faith that you will be. And maybe we can end the story and you can tell me if you want to end it a different way or if you don't like this, where we kind of dual cut where he's going back to the embassy. She's going back to school. Uh-huh. And God, you're reading my mind. This is exactly <laughs> where I was going. Good, good, good. So she's going back to school. He's going back to the embassy. They're not in the same location. We're about to see them walk through the threshold, walk through the doors. And they both are showing hesitancy. And uh-huh. we cut back and forth a couple of times. And then... Right before like Burnham is about to turn around and walk away, she all of a sudden gets this sense of confidence. We see it in her face. We see it in her body language. And Sarah does the same exact body motions and they both go in and both soldier on. And that's the end of the story. Yes, because Sarah is using that connection to build her up a little bit. Right. And we establish that through the emotions, through the body language and through the cutting or through the storytelling, however we do it, that... Sarek is feeling it, recognizing it, and saying, okay, I'm going to send my ward literally positive vibes in order to get her through this. <laughs> and he actually can because they're connected now. I think that makes a great short story. I think so too. And we're not messing so much with the canon. No, not at all. All that stuff I was saying earlier about maybe everything that we say here is wrong. No, I think this is a little more evergreen than that. I think this will work. Yeah, I think uh, this is... Um this was, this was a lot of fun. It's definitely one of our shorter stories and one of our shorter episodes, but that's okay because you don't want to go longer than you need to. Right, and exactly. this is one of those stories that I feel like like if this was an episode, it would definitely be a stretch to make it an hour. That's why short story, I mean, and also just the framing really works as mm-hmm. a short story. It's dialogue heavy. Yeah. In order to kind of stretch that to an hour, if it was an episode, you definitely have to bulk up the Spock aspects. You also need a B plot and maybe some other yeah. things going on. So there's definitely ways to add to it, but the way that we have presented it, definitely a short story, something that you see in a compilation (laughs) book or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But what we'd love from you guys is what would be a good title for this? What should we call this short story? Should we call it Empathy? Sympathy? Should we call it Katra in the Face? I don't know. Something like that. (laughs) Katra McCatra Face. (laughs) 
<laughs> so what you can do is you can let us know by contacting us. You can go to the nerdpuddy.com slash contact, select punch it from the drop down menu, fill out the form, and it'll send us an email. Let us know what you thought of the episode or what you thought of the story and whatever uh, whatever names you think would be good. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the nerd party and on Twitter at join nerd party. You can find me personally on Twitter at the insane Robin. And you can find me at Oh the Profanity. We're very much looking forward to what you have to say about the episode and what you think it should be called. And we'll pick the one that we like the most in the next episode. Now, we have no idea what we're going to do next. It could be another Discovery episode. It could be a TOS episode. could be Deep Space Nine. could be Enterprise. could be Next Generation. could be Voyager. We don't know. It will be Star Trek. But it will be Star Trek. So regardless of whatever it is, we are going to punch it. Ready for warp, sir. Let's punch it. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.